before I begin to read, first a word about the bandages. No, Mrs. Graham didn't think that I said stand up. Uh, We have reached that age that you will one day when playing in the Florida sun comes home to roost. Both of us being a fair hair and fair skin are now playing the part paying the price for all of those hours outdoors. Uh, For the youngsters especially, two words, sunblock. We both still have stitches in, and therefore some of our uh, activities and some of our words may not come out the same way. Would you give attention, please, to the reading of God's Word, especially as it pertains to the sovereignty of our God? The first comes from the book of Daniel. You may recall these words come in the midst of his uh, captivity, really, by Babylon. At that time, Babylon was the biggest, baddest force that the world had known. They were an awesome empire. And these are the words spoken by a pagan king. And there's some debate. Was he saved? And I think I've said before, there's no indication in secular history that he had come to be a believer in the only true and living God. But God made him an offer that he couldn't refuse. And he seems to have learned his lesson when he utters this confession. At the end of that time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes toward heaven, and my sanity was restored. Then I praised the Most High. I honored and glorified him who lives forever. His dominion is an eternal dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the peoples of the earth are regarded as nothing. And he does as he pleases with the powers of heaven and the peoples of the earth. No one can hold back his hand or say to him, What have you done? Now these words are are repeated sort of uh, in this way in Romans chapter 12. And I would offer that for your reading this afternoon. Then from the New Testament reading, Ephesians 1, 3 through 14. Think again of the God about whom we've just read. And these words have even more meaning. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Let me repeat that. He has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace which he has freely given us and the one he loves. 
in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace, that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. And he made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Jesus to be put into effect when the times will have achieved their fulfillment to bring all things in heaven and on earth together under one head even Christ in him, Christ we were also chosen having been predestined according to the plan of him notice again the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. For why? In order that we, who were the first to hope in Christ, might for the praise of his glory. You also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Having believed, you were marked in him with a seal the promised Holy Spirit who is a deposit guaranteeing your inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the glory of his grace let us pray Father remind us again that what we have read is not the word of men Though you chose different instruments in different places at different times to record your inerrant word, it is still your inerrant word. Thank you, Father, that even the reading of it is attended with power, much more so the preaching of it. Not because of the preacher, because it has pleased you to rule your kingdom that way. Bless us, O Lord, I pray thee, not because we are worthy, but because we are yours. And in the name of Christ, I do ask this prayer. Amen. Have you met any skeptics? Of course you have. You've probably even met some outside your family. We all, from time to time, are burdened by those who simply cannot see in Christ what we see in Him. Why? Well, the answer is because they have not yet been acted upon, as have we. When it pleases God to change an individual, remember the verses we read from Daniel. He does as He pleases. And what we read from Ephesians says, From before the foundations of the earth, he purposed whom he would save. That overwhelms us and is a source of ridicule for the critics of the word of God. But guess what? That doesn't deter God one whit. How many times have you heard someone, I I first heard it supposedly uh, years ago, I think in the 1900s, there was a very famous uh, atheist, I think his name was Robert Ingersoll, and he would travel around the United States and maybe even into foreign countries giving speeches to prove that there was no God. 
And on one particular occasion, I think it was in Chicago, before a packed audience, he said, I do not believe there is a God. I certainly do not believe in the Christian God. I refuse to believe in the Christian God. If he does exist, let him strike me dead at this time. Nothing happened. Afterward, he was interviewed by the local media, who probably were a little bit better disposed toward the gospel then than they are today. And one of them asked of a Christian who was there, what do you attribute the fact that nothing happened to him when he made such a challenge to God? And the Christian said, well, I would assume he wasn't nearly as important to God as he thinks he is. Does God exist? Once again, that's not the purpose of this sermon. If he's acted in your life, you know he exists. If he hasn't acted in your life yet, you may think he exists. And one day, by his grace, he will prove that he exists. But yes, he does exist. And he's not the God, I started to say, of the media. Uh, There used to be a group, and I can't think of their name now, Every year they would put out a pronouncement proving again how ridiculous it is to believe in the Holy Scriptures. And every year a host of Christians would answer him. And every year nobody cared. The Christian church did for a while, but we don't even answer him anymore. Why? Well, it's possible we have grown tired of such arguments. But it's also frighteningly possible that we no longer think the question is worthy of an answer or worthy of defending. But remember, if he does not exist, we are of all people most miserable. But we believe he does exist and that he is a God... Not the Casper Milktoast type person that is sometimes portrayed. You know, oh, he's such a sugar daddy. Uh, He's so understanding. Uh, He wouldn't possibly do this or he wouldn't possibly do that. That God is foreign to the scripture. And we would do well to make the scripture as much a part of our life as possible so that we know what this God is like. Well, if he is that powerful, what does he do with such power? What would you say is one of the most difficult things to achieve in this life? I'm not going to give you a chance to answer. give you the chosen answer. And I hope you will agree. I remember in Theology 101 when the subject of God's sovereignty was first broached to us. And of course it was broached with a backdrop of the fallenness of man. Call it his absolute, utter destitution. And as Professor Smith was teaching this to us, 
one of the boys raised his hand. He said, well, Dr. Smith, if what you're saying is true, if man is so corrupt, if he's incapable of understanding the truth, much less accepting the truth, then you're training us to go out into a graveyard and say, whosoever will may rise. And Dr. Smith said, now you've got it. That was my first understanding. That apart from God being sovereign, no one can be saved. What can a dead person do? Except, if you leave him alone long enough, stink. When you're dead, you're dead. And the Bible looks at all of humanity without Christ as being dead in their trespasses and sin. Now may I offer to you that that's a terrible condition. But there's hope. Well now wait a minute. Uh, the scripture, especially I think at the end of Romans 3, speaks of us of being, you know. Well let's turn there if you will. Romans chapter 3. Beginning in verse 9. Now what Paul has done in the first several chapters is paint the terrible condition of man. And in chapter 3 verse 9 he says, What shall we conclude then? Are we any better than those he just described? Not at all. We've already made the charge that Jews and Gentiles alike are all under sin as it is written and he quotes from the Old Testament several places there is no one righteous not even one not even that beautiful new baby that may have come into your home he's not righteous there's no one who understands well what about the PhD like Mr. Ingersoll no there's no one who seeks God now wait a minute I've read a number of books about the philosophy of the seeker church. The Bible says no one seeks God. Now if you read some more you understand apart from the work of God already in him. All have turned away. All have together become worthless. There is no one who does good. Not even one. Their throats are open graves. Their tongues practice deceit. The poison of vipers is on their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and misery mark their ways. And the way of peace they do not know. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now I would say to you that's a very contemporary reading. We live in a world where there are different isms, different philosophies, the bother of the mind. How can there be people as ruthless as we see in the news reports? Where men, women, and children are chopped to pieces in the name of God. No one understands apart from God working in them. 
And if it were not for God's love, what would we do? Now, if you would turn quickly to Ephesians. Of course, it's in your bulletin too. Pardon me. probably some of the richest scripture in all of the Bible concerning us who have been redeemed through the blood of Jesus Christ verse 3 again praise to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ well wait a minute in the heavenly realms is this blessing only available after we are dead and in heaven no that's what he says who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ you by virtue of belief in Christ are considered in Christ and that has so much to do with the way you live and the way God works within you someone said once to a person oh but you may fall away and a person said I can't fall away I'm a part of the body God has blessed us in Jesus Christ well but what does he do notice first of all the latter part of verse 5 he has blessed us in accordance with his pleasure and will not something we did but in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace now in verse 11 in him we were also chosen having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will in order that we who were the first to open Christ might be for the praise of his glory remember again what we read from Daniel this triune God what is he capable of? everything he is so powerful that in a manner of speaking all the inhabitants of the earth are as nothing before him except those for whom he has chosen eternal life before I get too far afield this morning I want to ask you can you think of a time in your life when you came to understand the difference between physical life and spiritual life call it be born again, being born again uh, being saved uh, walking the aisle whatever you want to call it but you became aware of a change in your life for which there was no explanation apart from the fact that this awesome powerful God had chosen you for salvation now do we always understand when that has occurred maybe not initially 
I would assume that many of you can think of a time when you heard the gospel and immediately realized a change had occurred in your life. For others of us, it's like driving out of Georgia into Florida. If there were not a sign there that said, Welcome to Florida, you would know when you went from one state to the next. It's like that sometimes when a person is drawn to faith in Christ. For those of you covenant children who are being raised, and for those of you who were raised in a home where the gospel was believed and the scriptures were read and prayer was offered, you possibly can't think of a particular time when you were not a Christian. God does it any way he wishes. And I used to think I was much more thankful that I had come to faith in Christ when I was in my 30s. It was so dramatic a train change that I had no doubt what had happened. And then I realized the great detriment that I had not been raised in a Christian home. I had absorbed so many vile habits, even more vile faults. Now, those of you who were raised in a Christian home, those of you who are being raised in a Christian home, may you praise God for your blessing. And remember what we've read here in Ephesians. Why did he do this? For the pleasure of his will, his plan, his way. Well, how will I know his way? Well, first of all, have you believed? Have you audibly said, Father in heaven, I really need that new life in Christ? I realize, possibly for the first time, that I'm going down the wrong road. And as I understand myself and understand what I've heard of your word, the only way I can change is if you take the initiative. Father in heaven, take the initiative. Remember again, he will do that out of his great love for his elect, his people. And he's able to do that because no power in heaven or on earth can deter him. And by the way, that includes not only your salvation, the salvation of God's people. It includes his plan. What's his plan? Well, it's rather lengthy, but it's available to you. This God will do his will. He will yet produce for himself people, a people holy and blameless, spotless, a loving people. And let's face it, we need some of that. May I again just briefly tell you, my entire Christian life, praise be to him, has been one of evolving. I can remember when I first came across that verse in Matthew 22 where I am to love the Lord my God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. Well, as I came closer to the point where I am now, I began to think, well, you know, by His grace, I think I am loving Him that way. And then I continued to read, and 
others as yourself. And the door slammed shut in my face. For I didn't love others. Pardon my language? Those reprobate Democrats? Those reprobate Republicans? Those Baptists? Episcopalians? Roman Catholics? Oh, the shame. Now I understand that. When God commands you and I to love everyone, there's no exception. Do you remember a figure on the cross having nails pounded into his extremities, a spear thrust into his side, and what did he breathe through the pain? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. I would say to you, especially to you men, one of the biggest demonstrations of the new birth in you is when somebody has slapped you upside of the head, some way, maybe not physically, and you're able, maybe after fighting for a little control, to say, in the name of God, I forgive you. Now think of all the people that you do not like and maybe have said, I hate. Now there's some of you sitting here and say, well, Jack Graham, I remember you when you were that way. Yes, and from time to time, if you watch me, I'll still give a testimony. But I haven't quite reached that point in my Christian life where I love everybody. But by God's grace, I'm a little further down the path than I once was. I really do love some Democrats. For those of you who know me, you will understand. That's a joke pointing out again my snideness. We will confound the skeptics when that begins to appear in us. When we begin to love the unlovable. And how do we do that? It takes practice. It takes practice. And if you ask God to help you love the unlovable, guess what? He'll send more and more of the unlovable your way. Not to torment you, but that you might finally understand. Oh, to the praise of His glorious grace. It's happening. I love those in-laws. I love those outlaws. And so on we go. Brethren, it not only can happen, it must happen. You know what one of the biggest drawbacks to evangelism just rolling over this land? Us. Us. Pray that the skeptics are not as well versed in the scripture as we think we are. Because if they are, they will see more and more fissures in our appearance. Let us pray. Great God, glorious Savior, eternal Spirit, give us hope, give us faith, give us a rock-hard belief that what we have read today is true. 
because it is your word. Help us, Father, even today, to begin to notice a change in our lives. First of all, in understanding that we have been drawn to faith in Christ by your grace, not by anything we've done. And second of all, Father, that this love, which is increasingly becoming a part of our walk and move, is an indication that your Spirit's work is bearing tremendous fruit. Father, help us, for the time may be shorter than we think. This prayer I ask in the name of Christ, our glorious King. Amen.